Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 97 of the SCO Show. Proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, April 15th, 2020. It is not tax day in the States. You got an extension on that. So if you're like me and had kind of blown it off, well, you're in luck. So you get that going for you, which is nice. Today's show... Offensive and defensive linemen. We're going to look at offensive tackles, interior offensive linemen, defensive linemen, both edge rushers and interior defensive linemen. So there's a lot to cover. We're going to get to it as quickly as we can. Before we do that, usual reminders, follow the work. Places like touchdownwire.com, Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio. Not one, not two, but three, count them, three, one, two, three. SB Nation websites, Big Blue View. Bleeding Green Nation. You have a new episode of the QB Sco Show with Mr. Kist and myself. Also, another plug for those of you that listen to Locked On NFL Draft with Benjamin Solak, Trevor Sikama. Yours truly is on today's episode making the pick for the New England Patriots at 23 in their mock draft. Some of you, those of you lucky enough to be in the Sco Show Slack channel, probably know who the pick was because you had some input on it. And speaking of the Sco Show Slack channel, we've got our listener mock. Get the sign-up sheet now on the Slack channel. If you want to be a part, hit me up for an invite at Mark Schofield on Twitter or reach out via email mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com. Let's get to it. lot to cover today. And I know you're not, you know, you're not going anywhere or anything, but you've got a lot of pods to get through since that's what you're doing these days. And I don't want to take up too much more of your time than I have and then I absolutely have to. Offensive tackle one for me, Jedrick Wills from Alabama. He's nasty. He's mean. He's plug and play. I think this guy is a cornerstone tackle in the National Football League. I'm a huge fan of his body of work. I think if you study him on tape, as I've done, you will see somebody that is just a demolisher in the run game, somebody that wants to take your soul in the run game. Explosive, great upper body strength. Limits edge rushers extremely well. Good hand work, good hand placement, good agility for somebody. He needs to clean up some technique stuff. He needs to clean up some tendencies, but I think he's basically as good as it gets at the tackle spot. And there are some great tackles in this draft. I mean, the big four, the big five, however you want to break it down. My guy's Wells, I think he's number one. Some people might have Andrew Thomas as offensive tackle number one. 
you know, cornerstone left tackle type of guy. You know, when you look at the fact that Werfs is a right tackle, that Wills is a right, right tackle, that Becton played in a different offense, if you want just plug-and-play left tackle, Andrew Thomas is probably your boy. I mean, you're looking at somebody that played at a pro-style offense, tons of pass sets, scheme, versatile, zone and gap power stuff. He has it all. He went up against some elite talent. Caleb on Chasen handled him pretty well. You play left tackle in the SEC, you're going to be a good one. Patriots have a pretty good one as well, and Isaiah wins. So I think Thomas is as good as it gets at the position. I prefer Wills, but they're both very good players. Offensive tackle number three for me is Tristan Wirfs. Guy's mean, mauler, flexible, agile, came from a diverse offensive system. A lot of zone, a lot of gap power, some traditional pass sets as well. I think he's very clean as offensive linemen go. I think the fact that he's right tackle right now, you know, it's a thing to think about. But I think he's also a very good tackle. And Makai Becton is a good tackle as well. I will say that having mocked him to the Arizona Cardinals a number of times and gotten destroyed by Cardinals fans, I think there's this idea that because of the Louisville offense and the way it was designed, he's not ready to come out. You're seeing that spill onto Twitter and elsewhere. If you want to do the work yourself, go to Duke Mannyweather's Twitter feed and you will see all of his clips and all 22 and all of its glory and you will get a chance to see for yourself what this kid can do. He is an absolute finisher. He wants to destroy you. He wants to embarrass you. He wants to hit you so hard your girlfriend cries. Like, that's what he brings to the table. And it's no surprise that Duke Mannyweather is working with this kid. Because Duke Mannyweather is one of those members of offensive line Twitter who strongly believes that finishing is non-negotiable. Let's not forget, this is a man who, when he saw a debate on the timeline, this is Duke Mannyweather, pulled over to record a video saying finishing is non-negotiable. And if you start watching offensive linemen, you will believe that is true. You will see that it is true. And when you just see somebody just start to take somebody's soul from them in the course of a game and that player starts to give up, that's Beckman. I think he brings that to the table. So those are your top four. If you want to make it a fab five, Josh Jones is number five. And I think pretty complete player. Very technically sound. I think he does a lot of things that NFL coaches are going to like. He moves well in space. I think that he needs to be a little bit better and more consistent with his hands, but I think he's a very solid tackle in the National Football League. A guy that's getting a lot of buzz is Isaiah Wilson, Georgia's right tackle. You're hearing some first-round buzz on him. The first-round buzz on him is real. I think people are looking at, as they're studying Andrew Thomas and they're seeing more of what he can do, they're seeing somebody that can be dominant at times, great against the great in the run game. Sometimes gets a little spotty with his footwork and his hand placement and the pass protection part of it. But people are going to like, look, you come in at 6'6", 350, people see offensive tackle in the National Football League. So Isaiah Wilson is getting a lot of attention right now and with good reason. Austin Jackson, I don't see a first-round tackle. But I know people are putting him in the first round mix. 
I see somebody that was a bit too inconsistent to place in the first round for me at the offensive tackle position. I think, look, he can play the position. I'd be fine with him, sort of a second-round pick. He did have some off-the-field medical circumstances that he had to deal with. He did a bone marrow transplant for his sister. And so that's sort of... He had to deal with that all offseason, and so he struggled a little bit, struggled to get his strength back. But I still, even looking back at some of his previous years, I'm not convinced. But some teams are going to like him. I really like Prince Tango Wanogo from Auburn. I loved him when I was watching him, getting ready to watch Minnesota in the bowl game. I was doing some advanced scouting work on Auburn. Very impressed with what I saw. Again, new to the sport, very raw, but I like what he brings to the table. I think when you're studying him, raw athleticism, the kind of stuff that you'd love to see from an offensive tackle, lawn, moves well, very fluid. A lot of the stuff is a work in progress. The technique, the footwork, all a work in progress. Hands, needs to get more consistent at the strike point, needs to place them better. Needs to be a bit more aggressive, I think. He's one of those... You see offensive tackles, they do it one of two ways. Some, the more experienced guys, can be very patient with their hands. Others, they can be overly aggressive. And sometimes that's a good thing. You force that edge rusher to commit to a move and you force him to play counter on you. Other guys can be more patient. They're good enough. They're technically sound that they can wait to commit their hands. They see what the, the edge rusher is going to do. Then they counter and strike with the hands, get into the frame as best as they can, and they do that well. I think Prince Tanguanogo is a guy that would be better served, I think, at striking first. Strike hard, strike fast. A little Cobra Kai action for him. And so that's kind of a look through at some of the offensive tackles. Let's talk now interior offensive linemen. For me, Cesar Ruiz is interior one. He's got the versatility to play center and guard. I think he can do both at a very high level. I think when you watch him on film, you see somebody that you know is very good at some of the technical aspects of the game. He's very good at process, and he passes off stunts and twists extremely well. I'm very impressed with how he processes defenders cross on his face. He sees somebody cross. He doesn't panic. He handles them a bit, but knows how to pass them off and scan and turn for the twist that's coming his way. He's somebody else that when I watch him, the athleticism is there. He's always scanning for work. Also fights hard to maintain his anchor or re-anchor if he has to against bull rushers and slanters and things like that. He sometimes drops his eyes before contact, which has led to some whiffs, particularly when playing in space. But I'm a big fan of his. Number two for me is Jonah Jackson. I know others aren't as high on him as I am. But I really sort of wanted to comp him to Bud Kaczynski from the program. I think he's somebody that plays mean. He likes to strike the first blow. He can force... This is what I was talking about. He's somebody on the interior that will strike first and then reset, adjust, and counter what they do. In a piece that's coming up from me on Touchdown Wire about the top interior guys, I have a clip from him against Northwestern where... He gets his hands into the defensive tackle first, forces the defensive tackle to adjust his pass rushing plan. The defensive tackle tries to swim and rip, but his hands are so quick, Jackson's are, that they're into his chest, driving him away from Justin Fields in the pocket. Like how he moves laterally. Big fan of Jonah Jackson. Then 
Natani Moti, the kid from Fresno State, he got a clean bill of health. Thor Nystrom just tweeted that out. He got a clean bill of health. He'd been dealing with some injuries. When healthy, this dude is dominant. This is one of the strongest dudes in this draft class. He wanted to set the bench press record at the combine. Hit 44. It wasn't quite there, but I can tell you from right up position after position from bench press reps, I haven't tapped a four first with that first double-digit number until I got to him. Extremely strong. Builds his house well from the insteps of the footwork up to his hands. He can dominate you with his upper body. He can dominate you with his lower body. When he gets the chance to use both on you, it's over. His point at the his, his power at the point of attack, very impressive. Offensive tackle four for me was a guy that struggled a bit. Down in Mobile. But I loved him on film, Nick Harris from Washington. He was one of those players, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we get to linebackers especially, but there are guys as I go through the draft process each year that I might get two, three, four games in on them and think, I really know who this person is as a prospect, what they offer as a player, and I turn off the film. There are somewhere I get to that point and I'm like, yeah, I know who this person is, but I don't turn the film off. I just keep watching before I know it. I'm six, seven, eight games in just because I'm having fun watching them. That was me with Nick Harris. He was so much fun to watch with his ability and the outside zone game as a center to use, whether it's just lateral quickness with his feet or even a rip move of his own. Like he had some blocks where he's got to reach that, you know, shaded nose tackle or even like a two tech, a two eye tech that he's got to reach on the outside zone game. And he can't get there with his foot speed because the person had the leverage advantage to the outside against him. So he'll rip them. He'll bring his arm and come and hook them under their armpit. And it's almost like holding, but he gets away with it. And I loved seeing that. I want to reach out to Offensive Line Twitter and learn some more about that move because I loved seeing that. So Nick Harris, for me, was number four. Huge fan of his. Damian Lewis was number five. I know... John Limarakis over in the Scotia Slack channel was a huge fan of his as well. Another mean dude. I mean, if you're going to play guard in the National Football League, you have to be mean. You have to play nasty. We're going to get to Logan Stenberg and the comp of all comps in a second, but you've got to be mean and nasty and angry. And that's what Damian Lewis does. Another guy that wants to take your soul, and he does it extremely well. Number six for me, and this is a tackle convert. Oh, excuse me. I, I skipped a guy. Number six for me is Matt Hennessy, the interior offensive lineman for Temple. Was a big fan of his, um, what he did in Mobile, but watching his film, also very good. I think he's somebody that his timing on blocks is incredible. He's somebody that will get two blocks accomplished on almost every single play. I have in here in the article a clip of a play in their game against SMU where it's just an inside run and he has the double. And a safety comes into the block box late and blitzes. And somehow he sees it, peels off the double at the last second, and stones that safety right in the hole. The play only goes for three yards. It should have been no gain with the safety screaming downhill. But somehow Hennessy sees it. That's vision and awareness. It's rare to see that from an interior offensive lineman. But he brings that to the table. Up next, Robert Hunt from Louisiana Lafayette. Offensive tackle. Probably projects best to guard, which is why I've got him there. He was a right tackle for ULL last year for an offense that had a left-handed quarterback. So I think it's important to notice that he was this guy's blindside protector. Now, I think he's mean. I think he's nasty. 
There was a play where I think he was at right tackle. Somebody blitzes off the edge of safety, and he loads up like he's going to swat him, like he's going to club him, and the guy flinches. Huge fan of that. Huge fan of that play. And so, big fan of his. All these guys I love. I love all these guys. I wish we could draft them all. Number eight for me, interior offensive lineman, Tyler Badass, the center from Wisconsin. I had him higher as I kept going through and watching guys. He kept dropping. I think he's solid, if not spectacular. Um, but I think he's a solid, steady guy. Wouldn't surprise me if the Patriots liked him. Lloyd Cushenberry was interior offensive lineman nine for me. Other people have him higher. I think he's a solid player. I think he's another one of those guys that would benefit from being a bit more aggressive with his hands. Now at number 10, Mr. Nasty himself, Logan Stenberg, who was saying that that his teammates called him the nastiest dude in the SEC. The nastiest guy in the SEC. So my comp for him, believe it or not, Conrad Dolber. If you don't know who that is, look it up. You'll understand why. And finally, rounding things off, offensive tackle number, I mean, interior offensive lineman number 11 for me, Ben Brendison from Michigan. You don't become a four-year starter at Michigan from day one if you don't bring something to the table. He's not the nastiest, the flashiest, or anything of that group. He's just a steady player. And I think he's somebody that the Patriots will look at. They kind of value the Parcells rules at the quarterback position. I think they'll like this kid too. So, there's a look at the offensive linemen that I love. There's like 22 names in there for you, or roughly 22 names. So if you haven't watched all these guys, now's the time to do it. Up next, edges and interior defensive linemen. you got a lot of more players to get to, so I'm going to be getting a sip of water, catching my breath, getting back on the mic here in a couple of seconds. That's ahead on episode 97 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 97 of the Scope Show. Had a sip of water, ready to roll here. Talking edges first. Edge one, shouldn't be a surprise. Don't expect to see him land in New England. It's Chase Young. Guy's dominant. I mean, you talk to any offensive lineman that played against Ohio State and ask him who their toughest edge opponent was, it's Chase Young. You watch him on film, it's Chase Young. People say, oh, he didn't have a lot of sacks down the stretch because he was getting double and triple teamed all the time. Like... And he's got the ability, when you watch him on film, to align anywhere on the defensive front and be productive. Sometimes when they were in third and long situations, they would drop him as a, you know, off-ball linebacker in a two-point stance, sugar in the A-gap. Just because they could. I mean, it's absurd. So, look, he's special. And I, I really think that Washington, just take him and be happy. Number two for me, and... You know, after him, the edge class gets a little spotty. You know, some people might have Yuter Gross Matos. Some people might have AJ Panessa. You know, for me, when I watch the rest of this class, it thins out in a sense after Chase Young. But I will go sort of with the consensus 
and Kayla Von Chasen. You know, I, I think that he's somebody that has speed and quickness and some of the moves that you want from a pass rusher. Like he's got some long arm moves. He's got a rip. He's got a spin. I think with a bit of a refinement, he could be much better off the edge. And I think that when you're looking at this edge class, I think at this point, you know who these people are, but you want to bet on the upside of some that might have some gaps to fill in. And I would bet on his upside. You know, I think there are times when he got owned by people. You know, Andrew Thomas in the SEC championship game kind of had his way with him at times. But still, I'm going to bet on sort of the upside there. I think for me, edge three is gross matos. You know, again, it's a bet sort of on upside. It's a bet on potential. But he does a lot of the things that you want to see from an edge rusher. You know, he's got sort of the toolkit that you'd like to see. Moves well. Keeps the pad level low at times. He can sort of work with a rip. He can counter well. He diagnoses well. He can play almost anywhere on the defensive line. And so I'm a fan of his. For me, up next is Zach Bond. And I know a lot of people look at Zach Bond and think maybe Kyle Van Noy, maybe he's Kyle Van Noy 2.0, maybe he's more of an off-ball guy. But I see somebody that can contribute early as an edge type, early off of the edge, pressure in the pocket. He's pretty technically sound as a pass rusher, and he gives you so much flexibility when you're thinking about what you're going to do defensively. Because I've talked about him before. He's somebody that you could see dropping into coverage. He's somebody that could play man coverage downfield. When I saw him run with Victor Benjamin on an out-and-out, step-for-step, it was, again, put the pen down moment. Like, sign me up. I can get this guy to work in the National Football League. So I'm a big fan of Zach Bond. Other people aren't as high on him. He's going to slip now. He had the diluted sample at the Combine. If New England does trade back and gets more picks on day two and round two, he might be staring them in the face. So Bond's next on the list for me. You know, Then I look at A.J. Ipanessa. I think that he's getting sort of mistypecast in a way. People are looking at him and they're thinking, oh, this is a guy that he's not really an edge guy. And in a sense, he's really not. He's somebody that's not really built to sort of dip and bend and break around the edge and things like that. He's a 3-4 defensive end. You know, He's more the Richard Seymour type. But what he does, he does well. He can be stumbled at the point of attack. He's got good footwork. He's somebody that will sort of fake a move, get you to commit, and then beat you. I think he's a smart, heady player. I think he's somebody that, in the right system, could be very productive. If you're a system that's going to play a lot of three-man fronts, maybe you're going to play some tight, maybe you're going to play some bare. I think he's somebody you want on your team. And so that's A.J. Ipanessa for me. I think that there's potential here but he gets to be a little bit more limited schematically. Then, Terrell Lewis. There is a good pass rusher inside of him, but he's somebody that missed an entire year with an ACL, but he's long, he's got length, athleticism, he can stab, he's got an inside counter that he wins at very well and very often. And so he's somebody I like. As we get sort of into the later rounds, a name that you hear a lot, Curtis Weaver from Boise State. He's somebody that I do like. I think when you watch Weaver on tape, you see the potential there. You see somebody that can flash at times, that can win some one-on-ones. Now, obviously, the level of competition is something, but he wins with quickness. He's pretty smooth off the snap. 
He could probably be somebody you could bring on, have him, you know, see some situations on the edge, you know, sort of like Winovich in a, in a sense, then kick him inside at times. You can use him as a situational, rotational pass rusher. He's not going to be a plug-and-play starter, but somebody that can contribute in sub-packages. Bradley Anay, I like him on film. I will say, very soft-spoken when he spoke at the Combine. It was fascinating to hear from him. He's talking about sharks. It was a great, great podium session. Very soft-spoken, but plays violently. Aggressive. All out. And so I really sort of like what he brings into the table. Let's talk interior defensive linemen now. Haven't talked some edges. And for me, and you can go both ways on this. If you're going to tell me you like one over the other, I'm not going to, it's not going to bother me. Okay? But I have Kinlaw 1, Derek Brown 2. They're both great. I think they're both first-round players. If Derek Brown falls to the Patriots at 23 and they draft him, I'm not going to be upset because he's a top 15 type player. But I, I love Kinlaw's explosiveness. I love how he can control a game from the open and snap. Like A lot of guys in this defensive tackle group, in this, in this interior group, they had to get stuff schemed. It was effort sacks and effort production. Kinlaw had to get everything that he got on his own. Like He was getting doubled, tripled, all that stuff. Fought through everything. Huge fan of his game. His length, his size cannot be taught, nor can his explosiveness be taught. Tremendous foundation to build with. His explosiveness coupled with the handwork he's developed is enough to make him productive as a rookie. Sign me up. You know, Derek Brown, a lot of what he does translates to the NFL. Obviously, what he does best is stopping the run. But it was interesting seeing how he created opportunities for those around him. Against LSU, for example, they ran a lot of tight stuff, three-man on a line. He was usually a, a zero technique, head up with the center or sometimes shaded. But they ran, like I said, a lot of three-man tight formations with a fourth guy coming off the ball. He would command doubles on every single snap, which freed up one-on-ones for everybody else. And he created a lot of sack opportunities for everybody else. It was reminiscent of when I was studying before Super Bowl 53, Aaron Donald. Not that that's the comp for him, but that's the sense I got. He has that kind of impact on the guys around him. What else does he do well? He can wreck worlds. Like He had a play against Texas A&M where they're running the tackle end exchange. He's looping to the outside to create space for the guy coming inside. He gets doubled, fights through both blockers, gets the sack himself. He's got potential where he could play on the edge as a 3-4. And so I do like him. I just like Kinlaw's explosiveness a bit more. Number three for me, Justin Matabuke. I'm a fan of his. I've talked to Doug Farrar about him. He's a fan of his. You can turn out his game against Clemson. What does he do on the very first snap? Chases Trevor Lawrence out of the pocket. Uses a push-pull into a rip that you don't see from interior guys too often. That sort of counter combination. He was fun to watch. Um, some people I know, um, Steven Ruiz... I believe, I think it was Stephen Ruiz, but somebody was asking on the timeline if everything that he got was sort of schemed up. And I think he's doing some stuff on his own, especially, like I said, that first play against Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. I'm a big fan of his. Number four for me, Ross Blacklock. Similar to the conversation I was just having about Nick Harris, one of the most enjoyable guys I've watched. It was his game, I believe, against Oklahoma State. He's somebody that when you're watching interior defensive linemen, there's two camps. There's two guys. 
there's one guy that's like, I don't want to get doubled. If you guys double me, I'm going to throw a fit. I'm going to fight through it. I'm going to kick my way through it. I just hate getting double teamed. Then there are others that are okay with getting doubled. They'll drop the anchor. They'll reset the line of scrimmage. They'll occupy the blocks. And no, I'm keeping the guys behind me clean. I always thought there were two camps. Then I watched Ross Blacklock. And then I realized there's a third camp. That third camp is the guy that not only enjoys getting doubled and understands that he's doing his job, that he wants to be doubled. Because there's this play on an outside zone play against Oklahoma State where he sees everybody flowing away from him. He sees that. He's occupying the center. He sees the guard trying to get to the second level. He's like, no, you don't. And he like reaches out with his huge right hand and grabs him. He's like, you're going to double me. You are going to double me now. I'm keeping you off the linebackers behind me. He's an interesting example of, I always talk about scout the traits, not the scheme at the quarterback position. He's somebody you have to keep in mind, scout the traits, not the scheme at the defensive line position because in Gary Patterson's defense, they're slanting all the time. Now he has an incredibly quick first step. But sometimes he's slanting to the play. Sometimes he's slanting away from it. So some of his production was manufactured via scheme. Some of it wasn't. But I loved him. I'm a huge fan of his. There's a reason he's getting first-round buzz. It's because of that. And I know every single defensive line coach around the league is going to bang the table for this guy. And I would too. Number five, Jordan Elliott from Missouri. Effort-type player. Quick first step. When he's left singled up, he can string together some pass rushing moves. You know, he might... He could. He's somebody that I think doesn't like getting doubled. And I think that's going to rub some people the wrong way. But when he's on, he's great. And he had the most pass rush wins, according to the PFF chart, and out of any of these guys. Even more than Kinlaw. And so in a passing league, that's going to get some attention. Number six, Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma. I enjoyed watching him as well. Good first step, bursty, can put together some moves, can string some together. He's got a swim move that I think works very well. Sometimes he plays high. Sometimes he's a bit too aggressive. I think his bull rush plays with poor pad level. When he does it, he exposes his chest. I'd like to see him play with better pad level, but I think he's got potential. Davon Hamilton, I think he's a nice player. Sort of fits that Patriot mold. Impressive power, great against the run. You know, he's not a complete pass rusher. Doesn't have the toolkit you'd expect from a fifth-year senior. He's pretty much a bull rusher, nothing kind of guy. But he's got potential. I think he's more of a day-two type player. At number eight for me, Raekwon Davis. There's somebody that, you know, looks the part when he gets off the bus. I mean, 6'6", 3'11", just looks every bit like a force for the defensive line he's got good vision good good power in his hands but he's just never really developed as a pass rusher he's more a run stuffing type of guy which is a shame because with his size with his length and with all that stuff he brings to the table he could be a force but he hasn't been yet after davis you're getting into sort of more like day three type guys but guys with still potential you know richard lawrence He's fun to watch. He's somebody that, while he aligns on the inside a lot, they also put him at edge. Like, one of his first plays against Clemson in the national championship game, he's aligned as an edge on the offense, on the tackle. Ron arms the blocker, outside shoulder of the tackle, controls him at the line of scrimmage, drives him back, running back has to bounce, tries to bounce around him to the outside, and he chases him down. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, 
This is a 3-4 defensive end. He's not an interior defensive lineman. I think his versatility is great. He needs to learn how to finish some of his moves better. I think his play strength is a bit of a question mark if you're projecting him just to an interior role. But I love his versatility. And so I think he's someone that's going to hear his name called. I comped him to Lawrence Guy. That's who I felt like I was watching. McTelvin Aguim, huge fan of his. He's at number 10 for me. I think he could fly up boards, though. His first step is incredible. I'm hearing from people around the league that the league loves him as sort of a penetrating three-tech. I think competitive toughness. He had a play against Alabama. Arkansas was losing 48-0, but they still have the starters in on the offensive line. And he has a SWAT rip move to beat the guard in the blink of an eye. And it's 48-0, and he's still going all out in the second half. Huge fan of his. And finally, we rounded out offensive tackle number, I mean, interior defensive lineman number 11 for me, Lakey Fotu. You know, run stuffer, rugby background, a lot to like about him. Huge power up front, huge power in the upper body. Needs to rely on something other than a a push-pull or a bull rush, but as a pass rusher, the potential, the tools are there. Like, I think outside of Utah's defense, which pigeonholed him as a run stuffer first and a pass rusher 15th, I think if given a bit of freedom, I think he could be more in the NFL. But it's a great interior defensive line class. After getting a chance to study them, huge fans. So, I'm going to catch my breath some more. We're going to close it down for today. Threw a lot of names at you. Again, I know some of you guys, some of you men and women that have been doing the work on these prospects, you disagree on some of these. And that's cool too. Because I've always said that, look, you know, scouting isn't a perfect science. If it were, the draft wouldn't be as exciting. You know, because everybody would do the same things and everything would play out the way we thought. It's an imperfect science. My offensive tackle one might be somebody's eight. Now, that's probably a bad one because this is a pretty clear offensive tackle class. But my D-tackle 3 might be somebody's 5, might be somebody's 8. My D-tackle 10 might be somebody's 2. Like That's the joy of this. That's why it makes it, makes it fun. And so I know most of you, or not, if not all of you, are doing the work yourselves. Always up to debate, particularly in the Scotia Slack channel. Again, for an invite, at Mark Schofield on Twitter, mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com for an invite if you want to reach out via email. Again, sign up for the listener mock that will be for monday's show so the quicker you get in the quicker i can record and get it done i want to give everybody the props for their picks and things like that check out locked on nfl draft where i make the patriots pick at 23 most of you probably know where it went but if you're not in the slack channel you probably don't know or some of you in the draft network slack you might know who the pick was too because i also got some input for you guys in there until then friends till next time take care of each other take care of your neighbors chicken on everybody Have those Zoom meetings with the family. Wash those hands. And when you do, bless that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.